Is the freight industry ready for a collapse? New efforts to turn containers faster. And challenges continue for the ocean freight market. Pull up a chair and join us as the editors of DC Velocity discuss these stories, as well as news and supply chain trends on this week's Logistics Matters podcast. Hi, I'm Dave Maloney. I'm the group editorial director at DC Velocity. Welcome. Logistics Matters is sponsored by Yale Materials Handling. This isn't yesterday's warehouse. Today's challenges require smart, connected lift trucks and solutions like robotics, advanced power options, and Yale-reliant, an industry-leading suite of operator-assist technologies. For more information, visit Yale.com. As usual, our DC Velocity senior editors, Ben Ames and Victoria Kickham, will be along to provide their insights into the top stories of this week. But to begin today, we keep hearing mixed reports about freight markets, and some carriers are struggling while others reach record profits. What's the real story? And are we on the verge of a freight market collapse as some predict? To find out, here's Victoria with today's guest. Victoria? Thank you, Dave. Um, Our guest today is Zach Rogers, Assistant Professor of Supply Chain Management at Colorado State University. And he is also a researcher for the Monthly Logistics Managers Index Report. Welcome, Zach. Hi, thanks for having me. Our pleasure. So as Dave said, you know, we've been hearing a lot of reports about, you know, a, a potential, you know, a pending freight recession, you know, driven by a variety of, of market factors and challenges. What's your take on this? Should the industry expect to crash anytime soon? I don't know if crash is the right word for it. it it's certainly a slowdown, uh, which I don't know that is necessarily a bad thing, by the way. You know, we've been going a million miles an hour for the last year and a half. And in some ways, it's a little bit of a relief. Now, um, some of the bigger carriers, I think, are actually going to come out uh, pretty strong from some of this. Because if you look at our data, transportation prices are still up. Uh, They're still growing month over month, just at a much slower rate. Um, Now, when you look at certain lanes and, and maybe other pieces of it, you do see, you know, like spot prices. We do see some some dips, but overall, it's it's still relatively okay. Now, it's not the robust growth we've been we've been used to over the last year and a half. Um, but it's but you know, it's it's not a full on recession yet. Now, I do think where we're going to see a lot of pain is with the smaller carriers, and and as I'm sure most of the people listening to this podcast know, a big percentage, the majority of fleets out there are, you know, five, 10 or less trucks. Um, And so those smaller carriers, uh, you know, there's a good chance some of them are new. You know, a lot of them may have gotten in a, you know, owner operator who bought their rig six months ago, maybe spent too much money on it and has just been used to, you know, loads coming to them. That's not the way it's working anymore. Plus we have diesel, I think sitting at, $5.60 $5.60 a gallon or some crazy number like that. And the smaller carriers can't get the wholesale prices that the bigger carriers can. And so really what we're going to see is the larger carriers are going to be able to get wholesale on diesel, and they're going to start taking loads that they may have considered undesirable six months ago, you know, picking things up that had been kind of left for the smaller guys. And so I think a lot of the smaller carriers are going to see things dissolve. But really what we're seeing, I believe, is more of a return to equilibrium 
and possibly a right sizing uh, in the freight market. I don't think this is going to be like 2018 and 2019 where we saw, you know, huge, huge demand in 2018. Then we got to 2019 and 3,000 carriers uh, disappeared essentially between 19 and 20. I think that we're starting in a much stronger place now uh, going into this dip than, than where we were then. So I don't think recession is the right word. I, I think we're returning towards sort of our natural state of equilibrium, and it might just feel like a recession because we've been up at such high highs. Yeah, and you mentioned um, you know our data. I think you're referring to the monthly logistics managers index report, which which you work on and and sort of tracks the trends we're talking about. What are some of the other factors that might um, you know contribute to the slowdown or uh, recession? And are you seeing any signs of those now? I know you mentioned a few, but what other things are we looking at? So I mean, the other issues are you know the slowdown coming in from China. Uh, is is obviously an issue, and and we're really starting to see that now. You know, there's there's a, a six week delay usually uh, when you see a shutdown there uh, it, before you start to see real slowdowns at the ports. And you know, I was uh, uh, speaking with a, a friend who who is uh, involved in the port of Los Angeles, and you know, they only had 40 ships uh, yesterday, um, which you know it isn't really not a lot you know but it's way less than when we had 100 uh for most of for most of the last year so i do think we're seeing a, a bit of a slowdown um on on that side now in terms of logistics index data it's interesting because all of the transportation numbers are sort of going towards equilibrium but our warehousing and inventory numbers so we track you know inventory levels and costs and warehousing utilization capacity and, and costs, all of those look exactly like they did uh, for the last 18 months. We have huge uh, growth in terms of warehouse costs and really low rates, really low rates of warehousing capacity. One of the, the issues that we're gonna have is, even if we do have more loosening in the freight market, there's not anywhere to put all of this stuff we have. We still have a whole bunch of inventory that got here late it was supposed to be here you know in december and it showed up in february and that's all still sitting in warehouses somewhere um and and it's funny because warehousing capacity and warehousing prices they look similar to how they did last year the difference is is that last year we had really high rates of turnover coming through warehousing facilities uh and so it was sort of dynamic usage now it's really static usage uh, because stuff is getting to warehouses and just sitting there and we're running out of new places uh, to put inventory. What about some of the larger economic trends you're seeing? Uh, you mentioned earlier, you know, um, higher prices, what about inflation, things like that, sort of their effects on freight markets and logistics in general? Inflation is absolutely playing a role. Um, you know, I, I saw people were excited. Oh, it was uh, inflation was lower in, in April than March. And you look, it's like, oh, only 8.3%. Uh, great. <laughs> That's cool. Um, and, and so what's happening is a natural pullback of consumers where we're not spending as much money, especially on durable goods, uh, things that need to be moved uh, as we had in the past. Um, you know, it, when gas is 45% <laughs> more expensive than it was in January, you know, that's going to eat into your, your disposable income. Plus, we see, you know, we've worked through our stimulus checks and we have other alternatives. 
So consumers are really moving towards spending on services. So now you can go to a, a concert or a basketball game or take a vacation and go see family or something. And, and so in terms of big economic trends, there's just not as much need, um, I think, for trucks on the road as there was before. Plus, people are, are going back to stores, I think, at a higher rate than we were expecting. You know, there are some things I, I think we're going to never change in the pandemic, but something that's been really interesting is, um, you know, e-commerce as a percentage of retail, it had gotten up to as high as, I think, 14% um in 2020 and now it's back down to about 10 percent of all retail is e-commerce and you know e-commerce means you need more trucks and, and more warehousing and and that 10 percent is still higher than where we were pre-pandemic but it's not like what we needed a year ago uh people are are realizing i think that it's nice to go back to stores um and so we don't need quite as much freight capacity there are other um, supply chain concerns at issue, of course. Um, you mentioned West Coast ports earlier. There's a possible dock worker strike um, there um, that's, that may be a problem down the road. How will this affect the larger industry and freight markets in particular, you know, in, in the context that we're, we're talking about things here? Negatively. Um, <laughs> yeah. So you're, you're right. You're right. There's a, a potential strike. Uh, the contract, I believe, is up on July 1st, so about six weeks. And if you remember 2015, the last time that, that we had a contract dispute, the throughput through the port slowed way down, uh, sort of as, as sort of a negotiation tactic. And I would think if I was a, a dock worker that the last two years have showed me, you know, I'm really important <laughs> to the economy. And even though they are very well paid, maybe, you know, I think I should be a little more highly paid. And, and maybe, you know, what other uh, you know, considerations and benefits they're looking for. And so I think that the dock workers are going to be in a very strong position, especially because you could see a situation where right as that's slowing down, China is opening back up. I mean, there are already many of the factories are operating in bubbles like what the NBA did a few years ago so that they can um, uh, get goods out. And so you might see the sort of catch up wave, you know, the wave of, all right, we're catching up to uh, uh, all the goods that we missed out on over the last few months, which we also saw the same exact pattern in 2020, but we're maybe going to be undermanned at the same time at the ports. But here's the thing to keep in mind. Even if we are at full strength at the port of, of LA and Long Beach, we're still going to see congestion again. Whenever China opens back up, we're gonna see congestion. And that's because even if we're moving at full efficiency through the ports, which I think is a really big if, we're not gonna have the warehouses to put all these goods. And we're going to run into the same issues we had before with trucks being out of position and a lack of containers and a lack of chassis and really importantly, a lack of warehousing space. So, yeah, maybe we can get it through the docks, but then it's just going to sit there uh, waiting to, to be, you know, stored somewhere else. And so it's going to be bottlenecks all the way down the line once again. And so the dock worker strike is a big problem or the dock worker labor dispute, I should say, is it could be a big problem, but it's not gonna be our only problem. What would you advise uh, industry professionals to plan for in the months ahead then, you know, sort of given these challenges we've been discussing here today? Well, I think being somewhat opportunistic, um, you know, this, this is a good time in some ways. Uh, you know, at the same time, yes, okay, well, the, the cost of freight is going down and, 
and uh, capacity is opening back up, and that's maybe hard for shippers. That's good for everybody else, though. Everyone who has had, you know, been spending a ton of money to ship loads or hasn't been able to get trucks because they're all at the Port of Los Angeles, this would be an excellent time to sort of take advantage uh, of what's going on in the freight industry and move inventory to wherever you need to, to do it. You know, right now, a lot of networks are sort of imbalanced because we haven't been able to have the free flow of goods that we normally have. This would be a great sort of window, I think, uh, for uh, you know retailers and wholesalers and manufacturers to rebalance their networks. Now, at the same time, I think it's also a good uh, a good opportunity to really look into diversifying. And this is particularly for manufacturers. You know, I China has not been a really reliable partner. I don't think uh, over the last couple of years. And in fairness to them, we did start a trade war. So. Uh, but but they have not been a really reliable partner for the last couple of years. And so you do see increasingly companies like Mattel moving production to Mexico or South and Central America. I think Mattel just moved all of their mega blocks, uh, for instance, uh, from, from Asia to Mexico. And so it's, it, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. And, and I do think that in some ways, the sort of constant disruptions we're seeing right now could be a good opportunity uh, for firms to really rethink their uh, their supply chains and maybe think about prioritizing resilience uh, over cost in some ways because as we're seeing right now if it's not resilient eventually your supply chain costs a lot of money anyway so you might as well plan the resilience into the beginning absolutely point well taken Zach uh, thank you so much for talking with us today we appreciate your insight oh thank you so much for uh, for inviting me on and, and as I told you pre-show this is always great lawn mowing material for me, so I look forward to listening to this uh, this weekend. <laughs> Excellent. We have been talking with Zach Rogers of Colorado State University. Back to you, Dave. Thank you, Zach and Victoria. Now let's take a look at some of the other supply chain news from the week. And Ben, you wrote this week about new efforts to speed up the turn of containers. What does that initiative do? Uh, that's right, and this really dovetails into what our guest was just talking about. Um, Zach Rogers had mentioned uh, the, the surge of stuff that's sitting in warehouses, the, the bottlenecks all the way down the line uh, that, that's affecting the, the movement of those containers. That's stuff that we've been reporting about a lot uh, that, that shippers have experienced at maritime ports and throughout the supply chain in recent months. Um, as he also touched on, you know, we've seen dozens of Container ships anchored off both the West Coast and the East Coast ports, uh, delays in unloading them once they do arrive. Uh, so we, I think our listeners are familiar with a lot of those headaches there. Um, it, it's also particularly been um, a, a trouble for U.S. exporters, um, for example, in the U.S. agricultural sector, because uh, they've been having trouble getting their hands on containers to fill with the goods to ship abroad. Uh, we've seen a number of efforts to tackle the problem. Uh, some that, that have seen some traction include uh, pop-up container yards to get more storage space, uh, some information sharing efforts led by the White House, and even a law in Congress that would give federal regulators more leverage to make sure those container ship companies um, don't charge very high freight rates or detention and demerge fees. Uh, previously, there were also even some threats by ports to fine shippers who left their containers on the dock too long. 
So the newest effort uh, that we're talking about today uh, comes from CMA CGM, which is, of course, the French container shipping giant. And they launched uh, what's called an early return incentive program. So that encourages shippers to bring back those empty shipping containers uh, once they're done with them uh, to the port facilities more quickly, saying that uh, that concept, that move, uh, will support the U.S. exporters we were talking about and expedite the flow of goods. So it's sort of more of a carrot than a stick approach. Yeah, well, Ben, I'm sure that a company would prefer to get incentive payments instead of paying fines. But what does the industry really think of this? Uh, great question. I haven't talked to any shippers about it yet, but uh, port officials seem to like the idea. Uh, so Gene Soroka, he's a familiar name, uh, he's the executive director of the Port of Los Angeles, said that with this incentive program, the CMA CGM group is facilitating a more robust flow of goods through the Port of Los Angeles and helping U.S. exporters get their products to destinations around the globe more quickly. So it, it seems like he's really on board with the approach. Um, how it's going to work is it's a 60-day program uh, starting May 16th, uh, so it'll run for two months. Uh, it's going to take effect at certain specific terminals that are in Chicago, Dallas, Memphis, and Kansas City. Uh, th that's where they'll collect those uh, empty containers and, and get them back into circulation for the ships eventually. Uh, during that time, CMA CGM will pay $300 per dry container returned to those eligible locations. And the company estimates it could result in about 43,000 dry containers being put back into circulation uh, within four days that they each were picked up. Uh, so CMA CGM said this is an industry first concept for the sector. Uh, and again, that the goal is just to accelerate the return of empty containers and uh, ensure that exporters can get their hands on them. Yeah, anything will help. So let's hope this helps to resolve some of those container backlogs. Thanks, Ben. Yep. And Victoria, you reported this week on the growing challenges of the ocean freight market. Can you share some more details? Absolutely. Yeah. So we saw some interesting statistics um, actually about safety on the seas uh, came out this week. The ocean shipping industry continued its long-term positive safety trend over the past year. But um, as we've been talking about, global economic and political forces are posing challenges. Um, and that's according to um, a safety and shipping review 2022 report from insurance provider and asset management firm Allianz Global, uh, which is a worldwide company uh, headquartered in Germany. Um, as I said, they released a report this week um, and it found that shipping losses are down considerably in the past decade and are actually less than half of what they were in the late 19 or in the 1990s. And just to explain that a bit, um, a shipping loss means that a vessel is completely lost. It's either sunk or destroyed or the cost of it, uh, cost of repairing it is just too expensive to undertake. And that's different from what the industry deems an incident, which is when a vessel, um, you know, something happens, but it's likely to be able to be used again after it's been repaired. I'll talk about some of the possible um, incidents in just a minute. But back to the losses, there were 54 total losses of vessels reported globally last year, and that's down from 65 a year earlier. And it's about a 57, it's 5'7, 57% decline over 10 years, according to this report. And it's interesting, that seems especially impressive when you consider um, the huge increase in the number of ships in use today. Uh, the global fleet of vessels has increased from about 80,000 ships 30 years ago to 130,000 today. 
And uh, that reflects an increased focus on safety and training, as well as you know, better ship design, new technology and regulation, according to the report authors. But it's not all great news. Um, although total losses are down, the number of reported shipping incidents, which I mentioned earlier, rose last year. This can be, uh, you know, it can be a lot of different things that can happen, um, but machinery damage accounted for more than one in three incidents globally, and that was followed by collisions um, and fires. And actually, the number of fires on ships uh, increased by almost 10% last year. Victoria, what are some of the emerging risks that the report mentioned? Yeah, well, they mentioned a few things, and um, as I sort of um, intimated at the beginning, it's mostly economic and political issues uh, that have really exacerbated some of the effects the industry had been feeling since the COVID-19 pandemic, particularly, you know, the delays and disruptions that have hampered global trade over the past two years. So the first thing that's adding to all of that is the Russian invasion of Ukraine, which has caused shipping problems in the Black Sea region, of course. But also, you know, sanctions and other economic issues have contributed to um, the rising prices we were already seeing, you know, for fuel and other necessities. There's also the risk to personnel and crews in the region and elsewhere, um, as well as the potential for cyber crimes and similar risks. Another rising challenge is, is really the industry's attempts to deal with increased shipping demands. You know, we've been talking about, um, you know, this podcast and, and, and at other times, you know, just the increased demand for logistic services, ships obviously are one of them, but in some cases, companies are changing the use of vessels or extending their working life to address, you know, these rising costs and capacity issues, and that can lead to safety problems. The report's authors noted um, that these pressures, in their words, are tempting some operators to use bulk carriers or consider converting tankers to be used to transport containers. And they say the use of non-container vessels to carry containers raises a lot of questions when it comes to the vessel stability, firefighting capabilities, and securing cargo. These bulk carriers aren't designed to carry containers. And the report's authors say this could really um, impact the maneuvering characteristics in bad weather, for instance, or the crew may not be able to respond appropriately to an incident. So, so that's a big issue. Um, the geopolitical issues that we're dealing with is, are, is another one. And these are just some of the factors that are contributing to the increased risks and challenges that uh, we're seeing in the ocean shipping market. Yeah, very interesting. Things we don't always think about. Thanks, Victoria. You're welcome. We encourage listeners to go to dcvelocity.com for more on these and other supply chain stories and check out the podcast notes section for some direct links on the topics that we discussed today. And our thanks again to Zach Rogers of Colorado State University for being our guest today. We welcome your comments on this topic and our other stories. You can email us at podcast at dcvelocity.com. We also encourage you to subscribe to Logistics Matters at your favorite podcast platform. Our new episodes are uploaded each Friday. And speaking of subscribing, check out our sister podcast, Supply Chain in the Fast Lane. It's co-produced by the Council of Supply Chain Management Professionals and Supply Chain Quarterly. Subscribe to Supply Chain in the Fast Lane wherever you get your podcasts. And a reminder that Logistics Matters is sponsored by Yale. Modern warehouse challenges require modern lift truck solutions. From robotics and zero emission power options to Yale Reliant, an industry-leading operator assist system. Visit Yale.com for more information. We'll be back again next week with another edition of Logistics Matters. 
when we'll look at efforts to encourage robotics education. Be sure to join us. Until then, have a great week.